this is our Vision Sunday, and uh, those of you that are our guests for the first time, um, once a year, um, God just lays it on our elders' hearts to, in my heart, to to cast some vision for our church so we have some laser focus for the year. Now, every year, all year long, we believe we're supposed to be reaching the lost by raising up a biblical functioning community. And uh, the Lord has helped us um, to begin to function very well as a community of believers, supporting and caring and loving one another. Um, but um, in the process of that, we're supposed to be reaching out to the lost. All the songs you heard this morning uh, were focused on reaching the lost. And so I'm just going to encourage you today that the challenge that you're going to hear is from the Lord. Now, I've done Vision Sunday here uh 13, 15 years maybe. Uh, I think maybe the first year we didn't do a Vision Sunday because I was warming up to that with you and trying to figure out where we were as a church. But this is the service, this is the one sermon every year that I pray the hardest over, seek God the strongest on, and uh, not to make you afraid, but I spent probably well over 200 hours preparing this message, so you might as well get comfortable. It's going to take a little while. <laughs> so um, I just got a lot of time invested. Um, in what God's calling us to do because where God points us today is where all of us are supposed to go. And um, and so that's a, a great responsibility. Now, every Sunday I'm in the pulpit is a great responsibility. And uh, those of you that minister know that. And uh, you know how big this is. But when you're vision casting for a body, um, it takes on a whole nother level. So I spend enormous amount of hours um, casting vision are seeking God's vision for the vision that he's asked me to cast. And uh, some of you know that Vision Sunday happens near the end of deer season on purpose um, because uh, the tree stand is one of the best places I can find uh, real fellowship with God quietly because I turn my phone off and you can't bother me there. So, um, But it's a very, very, uh, very special time for me to be out in, in uh, God's beautiful um settings and and see God's beautiful nature and just commune with God. And this year's vision, more than any vision I've had so far, has been affirmed by one after another person all along the way. Some of you don't even know the little conversations I overhear at, at the dinner tables on Wednesdays, the, the conversations in the um, in the kitchen, the conversations in hallways, conversations at the nursery, the, the Bible studies I've sat under. Uh, some of you, the Bible studies you're leading are focused exactly where God's leading uh, this vision to go. So if it sounds like, as Kurt said the other night, sounds like I've been in your head, um, it may be that God's been in all our heads pointing us all in the same direction. I believe that with all my heart today. And uh, so um, so here's what I want to do. I want to begin by telling you a couple of missionary stories. Um, when I was serving at the church in Birmingham for 14 years, a large church. We had a huge mission base there. One of the biggest things that church did was support missionaries, which is why you feel me driving that drive all the time. I believe with all my heart that we're supposed to support missionaries. And our board back here actually says missionaries are our heroes. I didn't cut those letters out, but I made that statement up because that's who my hero is. My heroes of today are people that will leave their homeland and go uh, overseas. They'll 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 uh, not take a career move that they could be very successful in so they can serve God a lot of times in a very uh, low paying place and just minister. Maybe uh, home missions here in the U.S. It may be 
overseas missions, but I love missionaries, and they're awesome. And the church I was at in Birmingham just amplified that. The church I was at before that, by the way, I was at Shade Mountain Independent, brother. Um, the church I was at before that was Best Navy Alliance Church, which is a, based, a, a mission-based church. The Alliance was based around A.W. Tozer and his call to missions worldwide. And so I've always been at churches that were just huge into missions. So you feel that in me, I know, as members, you feel that push and pull all the time. This summer, we're working and praying very hard that God would give us direction to get on the mission field again. It's been a couple of years since we've taken our folks to a local mission place, um, to, to a mission field uh, in the Dominican or somewhere. So we're going to do that again real soon. And uh, you'll be praying about the opportunity for that. But while I was working with the missions team up there, I, I, the missions committee came to me and said, hey, we've got this missionary that's kind of a friend of yours. You've gotten to know them over the years. And they're struggling. We've watched their newsletters for the last year. And we feel like something's not okay with them. And uh, would you mind calling them and check on them about your age? And I had talked to them multiple times. They were in Central America. And we were talking about taking a trip down there at some point. We never made that happen. But when I got in touch with them by email, just started corresponding. It was a very soft touch, just trying to figure out what was going on. Long story short is um, they were very disillusioned on the mission field. And uh, they had spent a couple of years there, moved their whole family there. And our church was given several hundred dollars 12, 15 other churches in the U.S. given several hundred dollars to make all that work for them. And they got down there and helped the ch- helped get into a church that was already planted, got disillusioned with that ministry, and moved to a different church. And they did. Uh, instead of going to the pastor and say, hey, God's called us to this city, to this to this place, and we want to do whatever we can do to support you, they were, they were kind of still in shell shock from the first thing not going well, so they, they ended up just sitting in the church and and listening to sermons and getting their kids involved in the children's stuff. But they were really just attending a church. They didn't have Bible studies in their homes. They weren't going in to do uh, market evangelism. They weren't doing anything other than attending church and had their kids in schools down in Central America and that kind of thing. And they had some friends down there, but nothing ministry-wise. Now, the problem with that, you're well, they're welcome to do that. It's just they were doing it on our resources. And our resources were given to them so they would go spread the gospel, so they would have small group Bible studies, so they would bring people into their home and, and, and share the gospel with them eventually, you know, so they would do some ministry work. That was our investment and our resources and our blessing on them as a church family. They actually attended our church before they left. So that was our call to do. And, and so we had to kind of start figuring out, well, you know, we're giving several hundred dollars a month to these people and they're really just living there. They're just living in Central America. They're not serving, they're living. And they've had some problems, so so we got with their directors and we had their directors in their offices and I got involved in it and didn't want to be, but I got involved in it. And eventually we just decided we've got to recall them. That was hard, by the way, to recall some missionaries. Um, that They were going through a hard time. And we recalled them, got them into the offices, kind of had some prayer time with them. And they, they said, you know what, we're kind of done. We're just, we, we weren't ministry. And, uh, and, and so they resettled and, and they started a different ministry, uh, locally to some people that spoke the same languages they were studying, which was awesome, uh, by the way. But it was a hard thing for us as a church because we had to pull the resources and our blessing from them because they were not functioning in, in what their calling was. And, uh, that was hard as a, Young pastor with a bunch of other guys around me. That was just a hard call to make, and but we all made it. Now, I want to contrast that with a missionary that grew up right here in Mobile, Alabama, and he's with the Lord now. 
Um, but he was one of my favorite inspirations, and he is one of my favorite inspirations to talk about. We have a lot of missionaries that we support as a church, and I could talk about any of the ones on the board like I'm going to talk about Truett. But Truett Dodd, one of my favorite missionaries ever, came to the Lord when he was 48 years old. He was, By the way, he was a Baptist music minister when he got saved. <laughs> so I'll tell you, somewhere along the way, he thought he was saved. And then he started leading music at a revival at, down here in Sims. And at that revival, he himself got genuinely saved, he says. Um, he was part of the Dodd Nurseries uh, here in Mobile. Had a, amassed a pretty good retirement for himself uh, from that. Planned on retiring at 65 years old. He planned on just, just retiring. And his goal was to live in Gulf Shores and retire there by a beautiful home that would watch the ocean roll in and roll out and the sunsets and all the beauty and the warmth of Gulf Shores. He loved Gulf Shores. But just before his retirement date, the Lord spoke to him while he was driving across country and literally told him, you are going to go to Siberia. Siberia, Russia. It's not warm in Siberia. He used to mess with me all the time when he would call me from there or email me. He would say, hey, it's a warm 60 below here. Like a what? 60 below? That's insane. But here's where he reti- his goal was to retire on our beaches. He spent all of his last years in retirement, listen to me, all of them serving people in Siberia. And that's a missionary right there, I'm telling you. That's a guy that was awesome. And he, he blessed me so hard. But here's the thing, he, he went over with a humanitarian visa because of the way his business worked and all that. He got a business visa to go in as a humanitarian aid. So he had to be very careful because they found out he was spreading the gospel as fast and hard as he was. They would they would have cut him off from his visa. So every six months he had to leave um, the country. He had to go off soil um, and do something else for three months and then he'd come back. So in that process of 20 plus years of ministering his retirement, he used all of his own resources, all of his own retirement money was spent there. And in that process he raised up three churches, um, he started summer camps for students. Um, they would have summer Bible camps and soccer camps. He did VBSs. He did all this great stuff of ministry over there. And every time, every six months he had to leave. And most of the time he'd come back here. Sometimes he went to Europe and found some other resources to help his ministries. But most of the time he ended up back here. He lived in a little RV. <laughs> he lived, literally had bought an RV to live in here in town. And, uh, and in his little RV, he would plan how to get the people of Siberia who were far from God, close to God. He would plan that, and he would think about that the whole time he was here. He wasn't thinking about what he was going to do with his retirement. He wasn't thinking about his life. He wasn't thinking about anything. He constantly thought, all these people over there have never heard the gospel. How can I get people far from God, close to God? So we'd be riding around, and and I was riding with him one day. By the way, I learned not to let him drive. He's a terrible, terrible, terrible driver. No lie. He, he loved to make left-hand turns, no, right-hand turns from the left-hand turn lane. If you were part, if you were in the right-hand lane and trying to go straight at a traffic light, and you, you were going straight, so you, you're not going to make the right, and he's behind you, and the left lane's empty, he's going to go to the left turn lane, look at you and go, hey, I'm going that way. I'm like, what are we doing? So eventually I said, you know what, I'm driving, I'm driving, I'm not letting you do it anymore. And when he talked to you, he had to look at you, so if you're in the back seat, he would do this all the time while you're driving. That wasn't fun. But here's the, here's the crazy part. We're driving along one day, just went to lunch and talking, and, and he's all about ministry. And he said, take me to the academy. i got to buy something. Like, okay, shoes or clothes, you know, something cool. 
warm clothes for where you live. He went in there and bought a case of basketball nets. Nets. He went to the manager, talked to him a long time, got this really great deal on this case of basketball nets. And then he ships it to himself in Siberia. Because every time he went into a gymnasium or a youth center, every time he went anywhere there were basketball courts, even the outdoor ones, there were no nets. There were no nets. He goes, I don't know who's not making those over here, but I know if I walk in and hand a coach and some players some nets, I'm their hero. And you talk about a hero. When he did that, the coaches came to him and they were so thankful. He said the students were weeping because they had basketball nets finally. And he said, the coaches came to us and said, look, we practice every afternoon at 4 o'clock. We're down about 6. If you want to meet with us every afternoon at 6 and tell us why you're here, that'd be great. You know why he's here? Because Truett Dodd, who didn't have a degree from seminary, he didn't go to Bible college, he didn't even have a, a college education, by the way. He was a high school guy that learned business from his dad, right? Truett Dodd had this real simple message. In our church, we'd call it the elevator testimony. He would say, once I was lost, and then God found me. Once I was blind, and now I can see. Once I was in darkness, and then through Jesus Christ and the cross, I found the glorious light of God. And that's how Truett told his testimony. Some of you remember him telling it here. He preached in this pulpit numerous times. Sometimes I just have him stand up and tell everybody because he loved to tell his little testimony. He didn't know anything else. That's all he had to know, by the way, to lead thousands of Russians to Christ over 20 years. That's all he had to know. That's all he had to know. And he was a missionary that constantly thought about the mission field. He thought about how am I going to get them closer to God? He went to SADS Healthcare and he bought or he had them donate cases and cases of latex gloves and lab coats. Because when he visited the hospitals, he noticed no doctor had a real lab coat. They had tattered ones. They had ones that were all stained and they looked terrible. He thought, man, I can get y'all some lab coats. So he did that. Then he shows up at the hospital and he starts just handing them out to everybody. And he's their hero. They're like, man, you're amazing. And and then the president of the hospital comes to him and says, says, hey, we're going to have an all-staff meeting tomorrow with all the doctors. A full staff meeting. Would you mind coming and telling us why he did that? I'd be happy to. You know, he, he made a relationship at that hospital where he he, to, he literally told me he would just wear his lab coat. He had his name put on his. He'd wear his lab coat around like he was a doctor. And he said all the doctors were wearing their lab coats. And he says, they would literally invite me into the OR to watch him operate. Just come on in. Come on in. Because he built relationship with them because he was trying to lead them to the gospel. And he wanted to just, he wanted to tell everybody he could his testimony of how he got saved and that the cross of Christ made a huge difference in his life. And he lived every day of his life to do that. Now, when he came back for his last time, having all kinds of health issues, heart, he had heart surgery over there, open heart surgery over there, which was terrifying. <clears throat> but when he came back for the very last time and the doctors here said, no more airplanes for you, buddy. You're never traveling to Siberia again if you're Latin. You made your last trip. He was brokenhearted. He was. But you know what he did in his last two and a half, three months here before the Lord took him home? He sent things over there for all the churches he had started and all the ministers he knew over there. He sent stuff to them for, to be able to do exactly what he was doing. He sent them Bibles. Some of us used to make those Bibles, by the way, at the Bible Center down here where we used to make Bibles. He sent them Bibles. He sent them uh, books and guidelines. He sent them basketball nets and latex gloves because he never, never stopped thinking about his mission field and about his call 
and his ministry and his people. He never stopped thinking about them. Now, contrast that with that first couple I was telling you about. They got settled in and they stopped. We had to pull all those resources from. I want you to turn to the first Peter chapter two, our main text today. It's really the, the whole thing I want to say to you today is found right here. First Peter chapter two. We've been through our reboot series where we learned that we're saved by grace. That's our very first poll, our very first banner. We're saved by grace. And once we get saved, it sh- we should understand in our salvation, it should make, grace should make enough difference to us that we want to grow in grace. And when we start growing up in grace, we learn that we have spiritual gifts that we need to apply back to the Lord who saved us. And then we need to be lifetime givers. And that's not financially. Our giving poll always has everybody freaked out. We're not asking everybody to be lifetime financial givers, although God may call you to do that and we want you to help us with all the resources we have here. But the givers that we're called to be is giving of yourself to God. Now all that's going to make really good sense when you hear this passage. The Apostle Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 2, um, and he, he says we should rid ourselves of malice and envy and deceit starting in verse 1, malice, envy, and deceit, and uh, desire sincere milk, pure milk, that we can grow up in our salvation. You can hear grace and growth right there at the beginning of this passage. Um, But now he's going to talk about what happened. God chose us um, who were precious to him. Look down at verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Here's what he says. Once you were not chosen. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Remember when we talked about the first G, grace? And I told you the vision I had for our church this year as it would be go back to those first days of our salvation. You remember what it was like when you finally figured out, I'm not going to hell. And it's not because of something I did, it's because of something Christ did for me. That's what I want our church to get back to. I don't want us to be people that when we sing, this is amazing grace, when we sing, you have overcome, I want that to move your spirit. I don't want it to be words on a song or words on a screen for you. I don't want it to be memorized words in your head. I want it to literally be something that changes your life and your heart pounds hard. You go, this is amazing grace that you would die for me. I want that to move you. I don't want us to be, I don't want to get old. That's why we're rebooting, right? We're refreshing ourselves and we spent four weeks trying to get you there. Well, here's what Peter says about us. And there's just this bullet list. You can fill it out on your page. He says we're a chosen people. By the way, it's a whole different genome. A whole, the, the Greek word is genome. It's a whole different, we're a whole different, you know, we're a different classification than anything else on earth by, by God's standards. We're a whole different classification. He classifies us as His. His. Now, there's all different ethnicities, there's all different backgrounds, there's all different cultures represented in this room. But you know what? He classifies us as His. And He says, I'm making you all one mind. My personal collection, by the way, is what it says. You're a holy nation. Holy means set apart. You're a royal priesthood. Royal priesthood? Yeah. Well, here's the very important part of that. There's not one priest in the room today. Okay, that's not me. There's not three. You count Cody and Brandon. 
our interns. There's not three priests in this room. You know how many priests are in this room? If you've, been, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand. That's how many, look around the room, hold your hand up. That's how many priests are in this room. That's exactly what Peter's saying. Peter's saying it's not just a special group of people that are called to this hierarchy of God that can, that have access to the throne of grace and access to God and they're the only ones that can get you there. Peter says, no, you all, all have access to God. He actually says you and I can come boldly to the throne of grace. Bold. So you know how to get to God. If you trusted Christ your Lord and Savior, you know how to get to God. And you're supposed to be helping other people there. That's what priests do. And we're a royal order of priests. Right? Congratulations. You've just been deputized as ministers of the gospel. And you are, by the way. You were a long time ago. I'm just reminding you today, you are supposed to be exactly what this text says. A holy nation set apart unto God for special purposes. Holy things were always set apart. The temple was filled with stuff that was only to be used for God. Nobody else could use it. Only God. When he says you're holy, that's what he means. Don't let the world use you. You're set apart. Some of y'all have holy stuff all through your house. You have holy, we have holy dishes at our house. You know, they're only used for very special occasions. Very holy dishes, okay? Some of you have holy towels. They're, they're in your closet. They're holy towels. They're fluffier than all the rest of them. They got your initials on them probably. And if especially if the President of the United States comes to your house, those towels are hung. Otherwise, they're just hanging out in your closet. They're holy. They're set apart. Okay, well, the set apart ones of us, we're set apart from the world to be used by God. Not to sit on shelves, but to be used. So here's what he says. And I love this next phrase. In the, in the, lang- in the translation we have up here, <clears throat> it says God's special possession. In the original King James, this is Larry's word that he uses almost every Wednesday night. Especially if we have guests in our little prayer circle. Larry has to remind because we are weird, aren't we? Amen. That's an amen moment. Right? We're a weird church. Okay, when we're in a prayer circle and you have guests, really it has to remind everybody we are weird. We're, and he says the word we're peculiar. That's the, that's the King James word for this. You know what a peculiar thing is in this original language? It's a special, strange collection of things. It's a special, strange... Now, doesn't that apply? We are God's collection that He collected specially for us. And we are strange. You know, we're, we're now his special collection. I found out uh, this week I had uh, some of my spies go around and ask, but I found out some of you collect odd things. Somebody collects seeds. Everybody knows who that is. Somebody collects seeds, right? So there's seed collectors. I found out somebody else collects dead bees. Unless the text was mistyped to me, someone else collects dead bees. I'm not sure why. Don't ask me. But someone collects dead bees, right? I have a collection of, of, um, hymnals over the years. Uh, when, when I find these yard sales and stuff, I can find old hymnals and I've got something to go back to the, to the late 1800s. I'm hoping one day God will bring some more of those into my world, but it's just fun to read those old songs. I love the old hymns. And there's, I got an, I've told you this before, but I got an 1800 hymnal or a 1906. It was a print date on it. It was 1906. And in the front cover of this hymnal, here's what it says. It says, we believe that the music of the past, the hymns of the past, are very anointed and specially good. But, 1906, but we believe there's a generation of people that need to have a different pool of music and different music 
So we've written this hymnal to inspire another generation. You notice today, the songs we sang, that's the millennial song. Fam, I love those songs, by the way. I can cross over pretty easy into that stuff. Right? But you know what? Ten years from now, we're going to be singing songs that little old me is going to go, man, I wish we'd just sing Shout the Lord. Where'd that song go? Right? How come we don't ever sing that song anymore? How come we don't sing Overcome? What did you, you know, Jeremy Cam not even teach anymore. What's the deal with that? Right? Because ten years from now, we're going to need another generation of music. That's why I love having that collection of hymnals. But here's what God has decided to collect. You know what his collection cost him? His son. His son had to die on the cross to pay for your sins so that you could be his personal possession. That's what the word means, his personal possession. Now, why did he do all that? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's actually in the text. It says to declare the praises, to declare the praises and publish them abroad. The King James says to show forth his praises. It means to publish or make known or praise or proclaim or celebrate. It's the word out of evangel, evangelize out of. It's literally the, the Greek word is got out of in front of it and evangelize. It means evangelize out of the darkness that you came out of. Now you evangelize and tell everybody how you came out of darkness. Well, how did you come out of darkness? Same way truth I did. Same way I did. Now you came out of darkness. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, revealed Himself to you, reminded you that you have sins that you can't pay for. He reminded you that on Calvary, He was willing to go and be tortured and sacrificed and die on the cross to save you from your sins so that you, you might be different and not in darkness anymore, but in light. Everybody in here has that same testimony. You know Christ, your Lord and Savior. You have exactly that same testimony. And we're supposed to declare the reason he called us and collected us together is so we would declare him out of the darkness. We would declare that out loud and proclaim that we once were in darkness, but now we're in light. Matthew 25, 28, 19 and 20. You guys know this verse so well. It'll just show up here on the screen for you. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. We call this the Great Commission. Jesus says to his 11, there's 11 disciples standing with him. You look at the verses before it says he's standing with his 11. What happened to number 12? He hung himself. Right? So 11 guys. And by the way, there are 11 guys that are going to change the world. They are. They change the world. He says to them, all authority in heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I'm just going to ask a very important theological question. How do you believe Jesus, by the way, in the, in the original language, that's a command, not a request. He's not saying, hey, if you get time, you know, in the next few years of your life, if you wouldn't mind, could you please... Did you just try if you could just fit it in? That's not how that conversation is going at all. It's literally in the, it, it's in a, what in the Greeks call a command tense. It's a, this is your marching orders. Guys, this is your marching orders. Now, I want to ask you, how many of you believe Jesus spoke those very words to those 11 disciples and you're 100% sure that happened? All right, keep your hands up. How many believe when he spoke them, he meant them as a command, not a request? Some of you already figured out I'm luring you into something. Because how many believe that whatever Jesus spoke to his 11 disciples, he also meant for us as his followers later to do? 
Ooh, same amount of hands? Mm. That's a little harder, isn't it? Because you know what? That's our responsibility right there. There's your marching orders. There's your marching orders. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Here's what the focus of our whole year needs to be. I want every member of our church to recognize that you're a minister. And you should wake up every day thinking about how am I going to get more people that are far from God, close to God. The people that I know that I work with, that I know in my neighborhood, that I don't know in my neighborhood, but I should know in my neighborhood. How am I going to make people far from God get close to God? How am I going to do that? How can I get people far from God, close to God? Every member is supposed to be a minister every day. That's what the priesthood means. That's why Peter says you're all priests. You're close to God. Now bring people close to God. Every mission, every person is supposed to have to be a missionary every day in our church. You're supposed to be missionaries every day. I'm asking you, missionaries of Northside, congratulations, by the way, I'm deputizing all of you. I'm asking you, missionaries of Northside, if the Lord were to visit you today, as we had to visit the missionary I first told you about on the mission field, if he were to visit you today, would his conversation be one that go, hey, thanks for thinking so much about the lost and finding creative ways to reach out to them and looking towards this person and feeling a burden for that person? Or would it be the conversation that we have with that first missionary where it's like, hey, I think I need to withdraw resources and blessings from you because you're just sitting and doing nothing for the mission work you're called to do. See, we, we took their blessings and their we took their resources away because they weren't serving. And I wonder if Northside's resources and blessings aren't limited because we aren't trying to use them up for God. We aren't living by faith and reaching lost. We're watching stuff happen. We're excited about the things that are happening. But we aren't really going out into the highways and byways and saying, waking up in the middle of the night or the middle of the day and saying, I want to figure out how to do this. See, you are a missionary. And the text in Matthew says, go and make disciples. That's the Great Commission. The Great Commandment says, go love others. As I have loved you, love others, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. So go love people into discipling them. You're going to say you don't know how to do that. I bet you do. I'm going to teach you that you do. You already know it before I even tell you. But if you're called to be a missionary, if you're called to be a missionary on... See, everybody here is a missionary. Everybody here is a missionary. If you're called to be a missionary on foreign soil and you missed your calling, it happens, okay? There's a wonderful altar right here. There's a pastor that loves mission work. There's a church that can't wait to sponsor you and get you on your mission field. Okay, so when the service is over... Just come lay it all right here and say, God called me to mission work and I missed it. I need to figure out how to get back to that. I want to be serving God in wherever God's calling me. I don't know where it is. It could be the Philippines. It could be Dominican Republic. It could be Romania. It could be any of these wonderful places our church already supports. We'll help you find a mission board that will lead you. We'll, we'll fund it. We'll help get you training. We'll do everything we can to help you. If you're called to be a missionary on a foreign soul, don't miss the call right here. Okay? Just your Your life is... Wasted if you're not doing that. Now, if that doesn't apply to you at all, if you're not called to be a missionary anywhere else, guess where you're called to be a missionary? Right here. Good old Mobile, Alabama. Mobile. Mobile, Alabama. Sims. Midtown. West Mobile. Pritchard. Satsuma. Saraland. Eight Mile. Right here is where we're called. This is our calling, people. This is our responsibility to be serving God as a missionary. And you are a missionary. 
One of my favorite songs in the 70s was Keith Green. One of my heroes of the faith when I was a kid. With the Lord, he was just a very passionate, passionate um, minister of the gospel. And Keith Green sang this song called Jesus Commands Us to Go. I'm going to read you a couple of lines from it. Jesus commands us to go, but we go the other way. So he carries the burden alone while his children are busy at play, feeling so called to stay. Jesus commands us to go, the Course says. It should be the exception if we stay. It's no wonder we're moving so slow, the church is moving so slow, when His church refuses to obey, feeling so called to stay. You are full-time missionaries. Everyone in this room that raised your hand to know Christ, you're a full-time missionary. How's your mission work going? How's it going? I'm just asking. You say, well, I've got a job. I've got, I've got a family. I've got all these other responsibilities. I can't be full-time. I want to introduce you to somebody. Um, Brandon Ezel, would you stand? Brandon is our youth pastor. And he receives a very small part-time salary. I really wish I could change that. Okay? Cody Walker's going to stand now. Cody receives zero salary from us. And lots of blessings. I feed him often. <laughs> and he can sure eat. Okay? But you know what these guys are? They're ministers to this church. You guys can see it. Sorry to embarrass you. They're ministers to our church. You know what they do on my phone three, four times a week? Call me with ideas. While they're at work. While they're working, their regular jobs. Don't fire them. <laughs> don't his dad not fire him. Okay? While they're at work, they're thinking about ways to minister to this community. Ways to minister to the people that they love. Ways to reach out. Because they're full-time ministers. Their pay means nothing to them. They're full-time ministers. And they think about that all the time. Like you and I should. See, there's not three ministers in this room. If you want to add our elders in, there's not seven ministers in this room. There's a room full of... There's 80... Well, I don't know how many we have today. 70-something people in this room. There's 70 ministers in this room. Don't you think we'd get something done for God if we were ministering? Yes, we could. It was a rhetorical question. Don't, you don't have to nod your head. I got it. We could if we would all think, how can I reach people far from God and bring them close to God? That's our responsibility. We're not, there's no such thing as part-time ministry ever. Just because you get part-time pay doesn't mean you're a part-time minister. You call Brandon at three o'clock in the afternoon about your child's issues or your family issues and you need him, he's your minister. He's going to answer the phone. If you call Brandon at nine o'clock in the morning, he's going to answer the phone. Because he's part of your team that helps you. He's a minister here. You call him at 3 a.m. in the morning. Lindsay's going to answer the phone and hand it to him. Okay? Because he wears this thing. No. So, I'm just saying, the truth is, we're full-time ministers. We're full-time ministers, Northside. We're not part-time. You can't just say, well, Sundays and Wednesdays is when I do my thing. No. No. Seven days a week, you need to be working on doing your thing for God. How do I get my friends, my family that are far from God, close to God? The vision of a minister and a missionary is to wake up every day wondering how I can reach more people with the message of grace. More people need to hear about His grace. People, this college down here, it's two miles away from us. And there's thousands of students there that are, their trajectory of their life is so messed up and wrong. They are ruining their lives, seeking all kinds of 
humanistic and personal endeavors that are never going to satisfy them and they're going to bust hell wide open. They're two miles from this steeple. They're ours. I can't figure out how to get on the campus. I've met with two of the campus ministries over the years and I keep trying to shoehorn my way in there and I just can't find it yet. But someday God's going to let us get back on the, on a campus and we're going to let our young ministers and me get to to lead something there. I'm just telling you, that campus matters to God. Those people are not going to end up in heaven if we can't help them. It's full of unsaved people. Your neighborhood is full of unsaved people. Some of us have relatives and aunts and uncles. Parents that are not saved. The blood of Christ has never cleansed them. And you know it. It should break your heart. It should terrify you that their heart may stop beating soon and they not end up in heaven. That should bother us as ministers. It should keep you awake at night thinking, how am I ever going to get my sister, my brother, my aunt, my uncle, my neighbor, my cousin, how am I ever going to get the gospel across to them? Do I need to just bake another pie and take it over and say, you know, just thinking about you, and is there anything I can pray for you about? Do I need to figure out how to help them fix their car? Do I need to find a way to get them to a grow group? What do I need to do to get the gospel into these people? Because they're going to bust hell wide open, and hell's real and hell's eternal, by the way. It's eternal. You don't come back from there. I'm just telling you that we have to think as ministers and we have to care about the lost. You cannot be indifferent to a dying world. Do you care about lost people? I'm asking this rhetorical question. I have to say yes or no. But do you really care? Do you weep when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that little colt? Remember the story? I love the colt, the borrowed colt. He rode into Jerusalem on that little colt. He came around the hillside, around a curve, and he could see the whole city. And the Bible says he burst into absolute messy, messy tears. He wept heavy and hard. And here's what he said. Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. See, his love for them mattered. And he, he realized that they were sheep without shepherds. You know that eight miles full of sheep without shepherds and Sims is full of sheep without shepherds and your businesses that you work and your your restaurants where you sit are full of sheep without shepherds and it breaks the Savior's heart and it has to break ours. And I'm not, I really tried not to be emotional today because I don't want this to be an emotional feel and I know I can pull on your mercy hearts real fast when, when the tears flow, but I'm telling you, the lost people of this city belong to us. Northside. He's the God of this city. It's why I had our group learn that song. He's the God of this city. There is none like Him. And He wants to do greater things in this place. He doesn't want those kids on that campus right here to go to, to go to hell. He doesn't. He sent His Son so they wouldn't go to hell. we got to get busy figuring this out. And we got to do it as a team. And we all got to dream the dreams and think the thoughts. We'll risk our lives. So I'm not a people person. Did you give me two tickets to an Alabama game in Tuscaloosa? And we're gone. My wife and I, we're gone. Okay? We did four tickets a couple years ago. Mr. Cochran gave me tickets. His tickets. So this is like a no-name team game. I think it was Kent State. Saban's old college. Josh and Mary and I, and all, we, we all went. Had a great time, by the way, but I hated every second of getting in that stadium, parking in millions of people. 
walking through crowds. Oh, I'm uncomfortable. I hate crowds. Now I got to climb this forever thing. And we sat way up in there. Look at the game way down here. Way better on TV, by the way. <laughs> but we watched this game way down here. Guys knees in my back the whole time, you know, spilling drinks all over our coats and stuff because we sat on our coats. You know, my knees are in somebody else's. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm trying to do a big deal. You know, we'll do all that to watch a football game. A football game. We'll get all uncomfortable. We'll do that. We'll, we'll try to entertain ourselves or something. But we won't get uncomfortable to share the gospel with a neighbor. The gospel that saves people from hell. Isn't that crazy? I mean, something in us is messed up with that. Something's messed up with that. You'll never get this vision, by the way, if you don't love lost people. And by the way, one of the things that can keep you from getting this vision is the other vision, television. Okay? Just telling you. Most of us, sorry, it's going to be on your toes. Go ahead and curl your toes up right now, you say. Most of us can name all the characters in a, in your favorite show, if it's, you know, the, whatever it is, The Walking Dead, or I'm not even sure all the new ones are, Gotham, or Lost. Whatever the, whatever all those shows are, you're all into now, okay? You can name all the characters, you can name all the episodes, you can know when this person did that, you know, all the interrelationships, and you kind of know, you know, the writers of all that, you know, all this stuff about that. Some of you know all this stuff about the next game that's coming out and who the characters are. And in this game, you can have all these weapons, and these weapons do all this thing. There's 800 pieces of information. You got all about your gaming stuff, and all about your TV shows. You don't know if your neighbor is going to hell or not. Something's messed up in us if we don't put that in priority. If we don't figure out, is my neighbor, what's, what's the greatest burden my coworker has? What is my coworker burdened with? What's my, my relative or my nearest neighbor? What's their burden? What's heavy on their heart? Well, I don't know, but I can tell you all the cast members of XYZ show. Good to you. I'm not going to get you any awards in heaven, by the way. But your neighbor is going to bust hell wide open. I'm telling you, we got to get television and, and all our, all our stuff out of our way and say ministry is the most important. The names of lost people are important. You should be asking friends at this church all the time, will you pray for my friend so-and-so who's lost? Please pray for them because it's killing me that they won't come to Christ. And I've led them and I've asked and asked and asked and they're just not coming, but please pray. It should break your heart. We gotta quit picking ourselves apart. Leonard Ravenhill says, we live in a world that's lost its way and we live in a church that's lost its voice. I watched this television show when we were in Georgia. I only get to watch TV every so often, especially by myself. In my house, somebody else always has the remote and I'm watching whatever they're watching usually. And uh, if I do get to watch by myself, I, I watch, um, my wife calls it the Whisper Channel. Um, I watch the Outdoor Channel, my favorite channel, by the way. And uh, I love the Outdoor Channel. She calls it the Whisper Channel because, you know, they're always hunting there. And they're in the little stands. I want to dance in the degrees. Yes, last night on the cameras, we saw some deer coming into this trail. It was really exciting. We're hoping today that when the sun comes up, the clouds will clear. We'll be able to get a shot. And I'm, I'm going, I love this. She's going, you know, I'm going, hey, turn it up. It's great. You know, she's like, they're whispering. I'm going, no, it's great. It's exciting. Well, there's a show on the Whisper Channel called Uncharted. Uncharted. And, uh, and, and Jim Shockey, and I believe he's a Christian, by the way. I've read a lot about him. And 
a lot of the guys on the hunting channel are Christians, by the way. They have a lot of prayer time and stuff around uh, around their tables and all and, and with their friends. Uh, I watched one guy pray with his grandchildren before he took them on a hunt. That was the neatest thing I'd seen in a long time. But Uncharted is a show where Jim goes out into these crazy places that nobody else would ever dare to try to go and uh, to harvest animals or to, to know the culture and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and he's just a fantastic guy. He's real funny. He's got a lot of humor and stuff. He's an older guy. Um, but he was in Paraguay. If you think it's spelled, supposed to be Paraguay, I apologize. I've looked it up, and Paraguay is the most common pronunciation, but they say you can do either one. So, But he was in Paraguay, and he was bow hunting wild buffalo. I was I was like, but this is so awesome, watching him. But then there's this little segment, and this we were in the hotel in Douglas, Georgia, when I was doing a revival up there, and uh, and I was watching this the last night before we came home. I was watching this show. And and he introduces me to a guy, I'll never forget his name. This guy's name is Rocky Caleb Hunter. <laughs> Rocky Caleb Hunter. Man, what a perfect name. I love that name. And Rocky Caleb Hunter is a conservationist um, who's trying to rescue the jaguars in the in the um, swamps there. The jaguars are almost extinct and they're trying to figure out how to save them. And he's really working hard at that. Well, to do that, you have to go into the swamps with these tranquilizer guns. You have to sneak up on a jaguar, imagine that, in the jungle, by the way. And you're the, you're being hunted while you're hunting, by the way. And then you have to find them and you tranquilize them. And then, of course, the vets take care of them, measure them and check them all out and figure out how healthy they are, you know, how many are here. And then they put trackers on them and all that kind of stuff. So it's a pretty neat deal. But as I'm watching this, Rocky Caleb Hunter says this sentence that just owned me sitting in that hotel room. Just owned me. And I want you to see this quote. He says, you know, Jim, you can love these jaguars to death from a distance and they will die. People send us money all the time to our conservation in, in the swamps here. And we got, we got the, we, you know, we need the contributions that helps us, but nothing makes the difference in their life unless you'll go to them. You have to make a difference. You have to go get them. Get in the mud in the swamp with them and help them. Man, that owned me when he said that. I got to thinking to myself, you know, as Christians, as churches, we love people to death from a distance. We're just afraid to go to them and help them. We don't want to get muddy or dirty. We don't want to offend them. You think there might be a little offense at, at the great white throne judgment when they're held, they're busting hell wide open? You think they might be a little offended that you didn't try to offend them at least once with the gospel? Yes. We've got to get in the mud. So the call I have for you today is that we would all just sign up to be the ministry, ministers and missionaries God's called us to be. That's the call. Cody's going to bring these cards around to you. I want you to pray about that. And while he's doing that, I want you to hear this last quote. It's from Leonard Ravenhill. I love this quote. He says, five minutes inside eternity, I believe every one of us will have wished that we had sacrificed more, prayed more, Loved more, sweated more, grieved more, and wept more. Five minutes inside of eternity. You're going to wish you had done more. When you see the scars in the hands of the one who did it all, you're going to wish you had done more. So let's take Vision 2017 real serious today as a church. If you're our guest, feel very comfortable just to stay right where you are and be seated. Don't feel any pressure. This is for our core church people. And uh, I love having you as our guest today. 
But our church needed a, a vision casting today to get us kicked off for the year. And this is the day that we do that. But as our regular attenders and our members, those of you that are core to our church, your card says, just pray. Don't, don't fill it out till you know that you know God wants you to fill it out. The Holy Spirit's moving in your heart because I'm going to pray over you. I'm fully committed, all in. Remember last mes- last Sunday's message, all in? Remember the guy had to be all in to make his treasure found? All in. I'm fully committed. I'm all in to helping those who are far from God draw close to God. I commit to God to become the minister and missionary He wants me to be in this community for His glory. I will seek out training I need to improve my ministry. Please come see me about any of that. We'll do anything we can to help you. And I will join a good growth group the better minister. That's the way you grow, by the way. That's the way you train in those growth groups.